You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. This is MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox edition. I'm Anthony Kastrovins. I am joined by Mr. Scott Merkin. Merk, uh, there's been a lot of speculation about Kenny Williams lately, uh, really coming from USA Today. Uh, speculation about the Toronto presidency, speculation about a, a job in Seattle, Seattle presidency, which we might add that there's not even an opening there at this point, so that would be speculation on top of speculation. But um, but his, his name has been in the news, and uh, just, just wondering your take on all that and, and whether uh, Mr. Williams might uh, sort of miss the action of, of baseball ops on a more uh, hands-on basis. What, what do you think? Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, as we both know, Bob Nightingale, excellent reporter, outstanding human being, so you take what he says seriously. But, you know, the, the job he mentioned with Seattle was um, the GM job, which, as you said, is still currently held. And I just I don't see, I don't see how Seattle fits, you know, what Kenny Williams wants to do. I, I, I do think Kenny misses the action. I do think Kenny likes to be more hands-on. You know, he's had a couple of years, what is it, after 2012, he went to executive vice president, and Rick Hahn went to general manager, so it's the third season. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that changed. You know, he's held, uh, well, we were joking about the Milwaukee job with him in the dugout a, a week a week or so ago when um, when Doug Melvin was, was moved out of that position, and he said, you know, I have a job, and that's, that's the line he's using right now, and that's the line he's got to stick to. I think other people have jobs right now, too. So I think you could look at it both ways. I would not, I'd certainly not be surprised at all if he was granted permission to, you know, interview or take another job somewhere else, especially if it was a move up from what he had, such as a presidency. But I also would not be surprised if he stayed with the White Sox. That's about as middle of the road as an answer as you can give, but I think that's where it is right now. I just I don't think it's set in stone either way. I, I certainly think he would be a candidate for any of the openings. It's interesting. I mean, we're getting to the point where every club has this uh, presidency, uh in many cases, a, a baseball ops type of person, and sometimes it's kind of nebulous about all right, who's making the decisions here. Is the general manager making decisions? Is the president making decisions? Obviously, Rick Hahn is is a true general manager in the sense that uh, you know he, he's entrusted with building this ball club right now. It, it, it seems like what I'm saying is it seems like Kenny's much more hands off than maybe the presidency in some other places. Am I wrong in that? In terms of being hands off, you're saying. Yeah, and in terms of him being not, he, he had since he moved over to the presidency in 2012, he's not the point man uh, for the trade discussions, free agent discussions. It, it seems like that genuinely is Rick Hahn. Am I wrong? Yeah, I would say first of all, we should make clear he's executive vice president. The Sox don't really have a president per se, but he, um, I, I think Rick is the point man for sure. Rick runs this team. Rick makes the personal decisions, but Kenny is involved. There's no question about that. I mean, Kenny is the executive vice president. That point, as Rick said, was made clear at the press conference that Kenny is, you know, above Rick on the, the flow chart there. But there's no question that Rick is running the show. So I, I think that there's involvement in Kenny, but not involvement as it was when he was the general manager. You know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, right. Rick makes the move and it, it's a group. I, you know, as, as long as I've been covering this team, it really is kind of a group thing. I mean, it's open to a lot of suggestions, a lot of ideas. You know, pretty much anyone in the higher up in the front office there has a say. And, of course, Jerry Reinsdorf, the, the chairman of the team, the owner, has the ultimate say on the, on the whole thing. But it, it's never struck me, even when, when, Ken, when Kenny was not even, when Kenny was in charge and when Rick has been in charge, 
that it's a one-person thing, that he comes to a meeting and says, okay, here's what we're doing. We're trading for Ken Griffey Jr., and that's what's going to happen, and no other discussion is allowed. You know, Ember Rick has been in that organization 15-some years at this point, so, you know, they've been kind of working in that co-role for a long time. So Rick is running the show. Kenny has involvement, but so do other people in the front office of the White Sox. Well, obviously, uh, the, the group decision-making process, uh, a lot of the decisions made for this 2015 club, uh, it has not panned out exactly as planned, but uh, Carlos Rodon uh, was kind of a big X factor in all that, and he has not exactly panned out as planned, but I will say that, you know, down the stretch here, it seems like he's finally settling, settling in. Uh, three earned runs on 14 hits over his last 22 innings over three starts. Uh, he's going deep into those ball games. Do you get the sense there, Merck, that uh, we're finally starting to see the Rodon they envision? I get the sense, as sort of a sarcastic side note, that Houston might want to take in Rodon because Rodon is dominant against the AOS. You know, his last three starts, which have arguably been his best back-to-back starts of the year, two have been against Anaheim and one has been against Seattle, and he's been outstanding. Yeah, I think he's just getting into more of a rhythm now, you know, and I think people kind of expected maybe almost a little too much from the kid when he came up. You know, he's just out of college, young kid, learning the ropes, uh, had a good spring training, starts in the bullpen. Yeah, I think people expected him to go eight innings with 12 strikeouts, sort of Chris Sale-like every time. And it, it takes a while to develop. We mentioned on a podcast before here that, you know, Clayton Kershaw's numbers his first couple of years weren't exactly out of this world as they are now, you know. So, Rodon, man, he's got the stuff. He's and, he, and the thing they've talked about since the day they drafted him, even before they drafted him, is, you know, they talk about Carson Fulmer as one of the best kids they've ever dealt with in terms of, uh, you know, watching draft picks who they took with the eighth pick overall this year. They mentioned Rodon while being a good kid, just had that kind of like steely fortitude, you know, that he just knew what to do on the mound. He wasn't going to back down from anything. And, you know, he struggled a little bit. He got hit, a riddle, hit around a little bit in a couple starts, gave up a couple grand slams in a couple starts, was pulled early by Robin in a start against Tampa, and has bounced back and has kind of shown his mettle. And I think he's, he's throwing more strikes. He's attacking the zone. It, it sounds kind of simple, but when he throws more strikes, it makes that slider that's outside of the zone easier to chase for hitters, you know. Because if you're down 0-2, you're going you're to chase that and close like that. If you're up 2-0, you can sit and take that pitch. So I think he's just kind of developed more into that top-notch prospect they thought. And I don't think there's ever a doubt for a second in the Sox organization that, geez, you know, maybe he's not going to be it. They knew it was just going to take some time. And I think you're going to see kind of the fully forged Rodon next year. Again, not saying he's going to come out and go 20-3 and with a 1-5 ERA. But I think you're going to see this paying huge dividends for him in 2016. I'm putting you down for a 20 and three with a 1.5. Let's say one eight. Let's say one eight. Yeah, right. One eight. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, his stuff still plays out. I mean, look at the velocity readings; it's all intact. But just, just from a protection standpoint for the future, I mean, are they going to taper off his workload? Do you think by the end of the year? Remember, they they've skipped him a couple times already this year and given him a couple 10 or 11 day, you know, breaks. And I think you know their thought process was. They have their one of their better starters, and he's you know arguably probably their third best with Samarja having hit a little rough patch. So even Samarja's right there too, and especially down the stretch. But he's in the picture for their best starters, and to have him ready as they hope to make some sort of push in September. So they don't want to shut him down. Now, if it gets to mid-September and there are 12 games out of a wild card with you know 20 to play, then I could see them giving him like one more start and then letting him sit the last couple weeks or something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But as long as they stay in the somewhere in the picture, he's going to keep pitching. 
Merck, what do you make of uh, Adam LaRoche's situation? Obviously, they're contractually tied to him for 2016, uh, around $13 million bucks, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but you talk about tapering off workload. Uh, Ventura has definitely tapered off his starts here, uh, especially with the emergence of Trace Thompson. But uh, how do they handle this situ- situation here moving forward where he's obviously a, a piece of this club moving forward, but he's he certainly struggled to play all season? Well, nothing against Trace, who's been great since he's come up here. Probably better even than expected. You know, again, a testament to some guys, you know, developing already in one year and some take a little longer. And Trace is, Trace is there. But if they have any hope of, you know, continuously winning, putting any kind of streak together, you know, as we sit here right now, they're five and a half back and there's like six teams ahead of them in the wild. There is six teams ahead of them, just that second spot. So, you know, unlikely would be the best word to describe it right now, or long shot. But, as long as they have hope, LaRoche is going to have to be a part of that. And I think, you know, the three days that Robin gave him in Anaheim, barring a pinch hitting spot here and there, worked well. He's hit pretty well the last couple of games that he's been able to start. He hit a home run to cut the lead to 7-6 to six in Seattle, hit another home run late in the game against the Angels. So maybe he found something. You know, he said that he maybe was tinkering a little too much, trying to do it too little, a little too much, and those three days gave him – you know, just kind of a nice break to get back to what, what he's done to make him a, a pretty darn successful career. So we'll see how that plays out. I, I still think that Robin will give Trey some at-bats against some left-handers, but I think you're going to see LaRoche starting more and more, you know, as it goes here. And You know, I, he had an interesting comment where he said we talked to him at Anaheim, and he said that he appreciated Robin's patience, and he would have benched himself, you know, about a month ago. Now, I think some people took that as kind of like a shot at Robin, but it wasn't. It was kind of a compliment saying, I really appreciate him having me in there, you know, and everyone's always suffering themselves, sort of sarcastically saying, man, I would have taken myself out a long time ago. So I think that was the reading on that. You know, LaRoche goes way back with Robin to when he was a kid, when his dad Dave was a bullpen coach for the White Sox and Robin was playing. So they know each other well. They've had discussions about this. And again, you know, as you pointed out, he's going to be here. He's going to be in Chicago next year. So it's probably just important for the team, for him to finish well, not just for the team to make some sort of remote push for the playoffs, but just to have him on track going into 2016. Merck, I always turn to you uh, when I'm lost or confused in, in baseball, in life, whatever. How do you explain Are we, are we, going, are we doing Beatles trivia for 100 now? <laughs> this is going to get deep. No, but how do you explain John Danks, 3.45 ERA and 12 starts at home, 6.58 in 12 starts on the road? That's, uh, you know, I'm not great at math. That's nearly double. What's going on yeah. there on the road, John Dang? <laughs> there you go. I, I, I was trying to do that in my mind as you were saying. It's interesting <laughs> because, you know, guys like Sale are very dominant at home. Guys like Burley were dominant at home, and, and Dang fits that mode. And not Maybe not dominant, but very good at home. And it, it's strange because U.S. Cellular always has that appearance that or that feel that it plays smaller than it is. And this summer it really hasn't. There hasn't been a lot of those games. And I know Joe Madden has talked about that on the north side of town over at Wrigley, too, that there hasn't been a lot of – this weekend there was, you know, against Atlanta, but there hasn't been a lot of wind-blowing-out days where a pop-up takes it into the bleachers. And you haven't seen that too much this year either. You haven't seen as many of those kind of fly balls to right center where the guy breaks in and then suddenly moves back and it's eight rows into the stand. So maybe that's it. Maybe it just fits better, you know, in the in the ballpark this year because it's played a little differently. But, yeah, it's John's been better in the second half. I think he had a – five-and-a-half ERA in the first half and a 4-1 ERA in the second. I mean, John's basically right now is a, you know, a fifth starter for that team. He is the fifth starter, and, you know, to get quality starts from him, you don't, you don't want to see what he did yesterday. That's not going to help giving him seven runs and whatever, five-plus innings. But, you know, if he can do what he has been in the second half, 
somewhere around a four ERA and, and more quality starts than not, then they're getting, you know, what they need out of him. And, you know, and he has not, you know, lived up to the contract that he signed, which next year is his last year. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he got hurt and he's had to fight back since then. And he would be the first guy to say that, that he's not performed like he wanted. That would probably be better terminology. But, you know, he is a fifth starter, and that's maybe that that split is just kind of, you know, explains that. This is a guy who's kind of a, a 500 pitcher right now and good in one spot, not very good in the other spot. All evens out. Uh, one last thing, Merck. On Thursday, the White Sox will wear the old collared blue and white V-neck jerseys from 1976, but no shorts. They're not going to wear the shorts. They're going to wear the jerseys untucked with pants. Who do we have to petition to get them to wear the shorts? Uh, wow, I think probably anyone like Brooks Boyer would be good, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, maybe uh, Robin Ventura, maybe Barack Obama, the president, because he is a White Sox fan. <laughs> so maybe you could talk to him. And I'm going straight to the say, top. George Wendt from Cheers, another big White Sox fan, maybe talk to him, see if he has any influence. But, yeah, I don't think they were going to go full-fledged on that. Everyone, fans seem to be very excited about the throwback. They don't seem to be uh, as bothered as you are about the shorts, but you still have a couple days to try, try and make that work. I'm going to make this up. I thought I was talking to the most influential person uh, in or around the White Sox, but I guess not. Yeah, I'm about, I think I'm about eight teams last I checked. <laughs> if all right, that. I want to thank Scott Merkin. As always, thank you all for tuning in. This has been MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox edition. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.